0: Welcome to Speed Zone, the best motorsports show on radio. I'm your host, Ben Cowher, and across the next hour, we'll recap everything, yes, everything, in racing that happened in the last week. We'll discuss the latest news and occasionally even have a star-studded interview. So buckle up, rev your motor, and drop the hammer, because this is Speed Zone. Welcome to Speed Zone. I'm your host, Ben Cower, and thanks for tuning in. Got a great show for you tonight. It's a bit of an abridged version of Speed Zone. There will be no flag-to-flag segment. There will be no what's up this week, but we'll have the Racing Roundtable segment as we're recapping the week that was in NASCAR, Daytona. Everything happened this weekend. It was Daytona 500 weekend, and we have an in-depth recap for you tonight in this abridged version of a Speed Zone episode. Again, next week we'll be back at our normal time of 7 p.m to 8 p.m. and we'll have a normal episode for you. But today, before the basketball game here on the Cutting Edge Sports Radio Network, we have this episode for you, recapping everything, just in-depth discussion. So please enjoy. We have plenty for you tonight. And sit down, sit back. We've got a great show for you tonight. Thank you for tuning in. Hey, if you don't want to listen, get your earplugs ready, because we're about to hear some high-octane debate. It's time for the Racing Roundtable with your host, Ben Cower and multiple guest panelists. Whew. Now that that's over, who's at the table today? And who's at the table this week should be no surprise. Once again, it's Dale Garrett and Sean Kelly. Thanks for being on the show tonight, guys. Thank you, Ben. Way back, baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into the first topic. Whoa! It was Daytona weekend, baby, and it was exciting. It had everything. It had two days of no racing because of rain. It had two super days of racing with doubleheaders. I think that's the first time that has ever happened in Daytona history, at least with stock car racing, where we got not just one, but two days, doubleheaders, of racing. Uh, Not exactly planned that way, but I digress. Let's begin with the ARCA race that happened on Friday night into Saturday, and then we'll go into the Craftsman Truck Series next, but we'll focus on ARCA first. Dale, let's start out with you. Your thoughts on the ARCA race and the chaos that was that late-night thriller. Oh, my goodness. That's it. End show. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was a
1: typical ARCA race at Daytona. You got... Uh, a I don't even a bunch of nimrods and race cars and a bunch of old people in race cars. It was uh, it was rough, obviously, with the first crash, uh, mainly involving uh, Tony Brindinger. She her interview was glorious. Loved every second of it. Basically, in short, if you haven't heard or listened to the interview calls out her teammate who ended up winning the race in Gustine at Motorsports and said, his daddy writes the checks anyway so it probably doesn't matter. It was beautiful. It is an accurate description of Gustine. And, yeah, the 55 may have gotten a push, but he came down way too far. Yeah. And Tony had a perfect reaction she didn't do anything wrong in both races really truck and arca Mm -hmm. but it's just unfortunate and then you know speeding on through the rest of the race after crash after i don't even know what the longest green flag run was it couldn't have been 10 laps no it was not it was short stints terrible inadvertently (laughs) terrible 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 and then of course we've got the quote of the 2020s in ARCA competition mm-hmm. with Andy Jankowiak.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> Here, I'll play the quote for everybody at home. Uh, nope,
1: I'm just gonna put my foot on the floor and I'm not lifting to I like, see God or a checkered flag.
0: What a quote. That was great.
1: Mic drop from inside <laughs> of the race car on the back straightaway at Daytona. He... Unfortunately, did Did see God first? Yeah, he did <laughs> see. He <laughs> not saw not long God. <laughs> not long
0: after that quote. No, no, it was literally the next restart after that quote. Made it, and it was the final restart of the race. And he, he made a t-shirt out of it, too. Yeah, it, and it didn't look very good. Oh. Yeah. but <laughs> Go buy it for Andy pizzas. Give him your pizzas. money. <laughs> pizzas. Yeah, they were talking about on the broadcast how he had saved up everything to buy that car because he's a pizza delivery man in his spare time, and then the car got you know, junked,
1: It's destroyed. So. I saw a picture he posted on Twitter afterward. It, it's bad. I, I mean, I would
0: <laughs> I would order a pizza from Andy J, but I don't think he delivers to Huntington. Yeah, It'd yeah. kind of a far drive. If you go to his hometown of Town of New York, I mean, maybe you can, maybe you can get a pizza. And I bet that pizza's so good. What's yeah. preventing us from calling the number right now. We could call that number right now. Getting a classic what, New York slice. But we're not going to. We're not going to. Listen, you know, we would have a race between who would get a pizza here faster. Because it's funny, he's, he's not the only pizza delivery man in the history of, of NASCAR and ARCA. Carl Long. Carl Long oh. was Domino's Manager of the Year. <laughs> In the late 80s. (laughs) I believe it was 88 or 89. He was the manager of the year, or franchisee of the year, I believe. I think he was manager of the year at his Domino's location in, I think it was Durham, North Carolina. I'm going with Andy J. I don't know why I know this, but I do. (laughs) And Carl Long... That's why he's so damn good at driving because he can can deliver 30 minutes or less. Yeah, back then it was cutthroat for Domino's in the late 80s. You had to deliver the pizza in less than 30 minutes or else the customer got it free. Every time he's around the track, pretty damn good at driving. Every time he's around
2: a track, he has to avoid the noid.
0: (laughs) What did he do about David Rudeman in 2007? He didn't avoid the noid. He didn't avoid the noid. The noid got him. (laughs) The noid got him. Especially in California. Yeah, the noid got him at that race. (laughs) Uh, As you said, Dale. The Arca race was a bloodbath, uh, as, as to be expected. I mean, you have Arca being a series that is full of people that are eighteen, and and or the you know emotional maturity of eighteen and teenagers <laughs> that uh, are there using family money to get those rides, and then at the same time you have a bunch of moonlighting old guys that have bought these cars and are running them and are they are certainly not. Cup Series drivers with these things and they're going 170, 180 miles an hour at Daytona. So, things are bound to happen especially when you have a bunch of old people running a race at 1.30 in the morning. So, <laughs> as to be expected, there was a lot of crashes. It was not smooth. Uh, the racing was honestly at least they could go three wide. I'll say heading into the race, it was certainly one of the healthiest Arca fields at a plate track in years. I think it's really cool to see is that finally it took about, how many, what, 10 years at this point? It's going to take another 10 due to the junkyard. (laughs) (laughs) It took about 10 years for ARCA to finally, uh, I guess the field is finally switched over from the Gen 4 car. Because it then went to NASCAR's Gen 6, uh, of which NASCAR itself, the Cup Series, has not run since uh, 2021. But, I mean, the style of car that Arca runs is everything that was running when Gen 6 first came out in 2013. So, uh, finally, Arca's come around on that. But then again, Gustine, your winner in that race, and threw one of the worst blocks ever on lap four of that race on Tony Breininger and knocked out half the field. And Shane Van Gisbergen was caught up in that wreck. It being his first uh, super speedway oval race ever in his entire life. and uh, Made up for it in Xfinity, though. Oh, yeah, he got back on the track, did make up for it in Xfinity, that is true, and, again, just had to use that race. He was just running laps, just trying to get experience in that race. Didn't really get it because he just was off pace the entire time. Getting knocked out of the race on lap four. Uh, it was a mess. Uh, Willie Mullins was the pole winner. I have never seen a car yawed so much and then drive so poorly. I mean, he set that thing up in qualifying trim, and then they didn't change it for the race. You can see the, the left front tire was sticking. It was like a modified. It was fully exposed out of the entire left front, it, and that car could not hook the bottom. It, <laughs> it was. I felt so bad for, Will, for Willie because he couldn't drive the thing. And then to add insult the injury, he plowed into the back of Scott Melton late in the race with the... Uh, that That is a... Look up on YouTube, Arca Brakes, and you'll understand <laughs> that there is a phenomenon in the Arca Menard series and has been for many years about the Arca drivers just not using the brake pedal. One iota. For crashes. Yeah, and Willie Mullins was the unlucky no. willing recipient of no. that role on... Saturday morning, Friday night. So, as he plowed into the back of Scott Melton, (laughs) Scott Melton, I feel bad for him because he wrecks every single time he drives on a plate track, no matter how fast or slow he is. And then poor Will Kimmel and Bill Kimmel are forced to do do probably uh, five, six figures in in fab work to the same car again and again and again.
1: Willie Mullins had five business days. To steer away from that crash and steered right into it. I literally said, "What is he doing? What is he doing?" It was really, really bad. So, like
0: Ben said, look up the crash on YouTube. It's, ugh, is bad. Yeah, Tony Brodinger had a great interview. Uh, go look that up on YouTube. She, as Dale said, scorched. Gustine was obviously angry at a teammate, and Gustine is not a teammate for many races this year. He's just running a very few, select few with Venturini, and uh, Tony's running a full season in ARCA. She's going for a championship, and, I mean, it's the most composed that she's ever been, really. I mean, she ran even after that rack. She still mm-hmm. was able to continue in the ARCA race, or, and then just briefly, but in the truck race, she ran great too. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's plate tracks, Small sample size, but we'll see how the season goes. Obviously, she has her sights set on a championship, and in ARCA, there's no playoffs. Every point matters, and Mm -hmm. when your teammate takes you out on lap four, and he's just going for a win, and you're points racing and going for a win, obviously, she's going to be a little bit angry, but it was a messy race, and Gustine was the winner. So, we'll move on to the Craftsman Truck Series race, which happened right before the ARCA race, and obviously, that race... Equally a mess. Probably not as much of a mess as the ARCA race, but then again, these drivers have been cooped up all winter long, and it's the truck series. There's no maturity there, so... It's about what we, we've we come to expect at this yeah. point. Yeah, so uh, Sean, we'll start with you on this one. Your thoughts on the truck series race.
2: I mean, my thoughts, as I said, the quality of racing is about what we've come to expect from in this past year, which is unfortunate, but... Uh, I mean, with the m- main story that most people have talked about after this being the wreck involving Raja Karuth during, uh, during that race, uh, with that being the main story that kind of tells you the story of this race in, in, in general...
1: Yeah, it has been said it was another bloodbath. Um, again, very unfortunate that this is what we have come to. We have fallen so far as a society. But anyway, um, yeah,
0: as far as... Okay. Another early wreck in this race, too.
1: Yes, yes, we'll back up. So from, from the very beginning, when I saw those cars take off into turn one,
2: I was like, oh, boy. They are very 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 unstable. there's no way they make it through the night. It was even before that too because right as they were crossing the start finish line to start the race, you could see them like maybe 10 rows back Bumble. bumping in yeah bumping into each other mm-hmm. not even not even during the race even mm-hmm. just before it yeah it was not a pretty sight and then you know of course they can
1: only go on for so long and wreck after wreck after wreck and then we speed up to the, the Rajah Karuth incident which sent Taylor Gray airborne and the only flip of the weekend which was impressive unless you count yeah. Andre Perez but
0: yeah As he, he got sideways at the end of the Arca race he, well he was his rear his left rear tire was on the wall mm-hmm. and the wreck that also collected Andy Jankowiak where he saw God <laughs> <laughs> for the flag <laughs> but anyway
1: yeah R- Rajah's wreck it's, it's unfortunate. It's last lap at a plate race, but I'm not going to give him so much of an easy write-off because his interview did him no favors. No. No favors. He's like, yeah, hate that. Great <laughs> run for us. Thanks to Mr. H and HenterCars.com for a fast Silverado tonight. Yeah. No, no remorse at all. And Got a bad push. Yes, and guess what? He would didn't get a
2: single push. Yeah, he just he just well from what it looked like on the on the replay mm-hmm. from at least uh, what I saw and it sounds like what you saw too. It looked like from the angle that he just slid up the track.
0: I washed up a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Well, yeah. he he
1: lost the nose and washed up an entire lane, which inexperience I get it, but man. He needs some PR coaching or something. Mm. And I think that Bubba Wallace attempted to do that
0: after the race and asking him, what, do you, what are you doing? What were you doing? <laughs> yeah. Well, what were, why were you? I mean, Corey LaJoy had a head of steam behind him. Yes. Uh, it was It was his teammate. Mm-hmm. Corey LaJoy running the one-off uh, for the Daytona truck race, trying to go for the win, and again, ran great. And then was pushing his teammate, Raja Carruth, who was in the 71. Mm-hmm. And then right in front of him, you have uh, Raja washes up the track makes contact with jack wood and then sends second and third place around and basically hands the victory to nick sanchez uh, it's kind of funny i think it's ironic that he was or it's not ironic but just you know coincidental that he was driving a hendrick vehicle and then ended up wrecking the field late and then his funny enough he's like they're not teammates to the same organization but Rev Racing is through Spire and then they end up winning the race isn't that just? Disc- Take your tinfoil hat off. (laughs) I'm just setting up what happened at the end of the 500 anyways. But it was a mess of a truck race again. I mean, in the very first lap, you can hear Michael Waltrip
2: say, my heart rate is going to be sky high because it looks like they can crash at any moment in the first or second lap of that race.
0: And they did. Yep. And they did. Well, that's just Michael, too. Yeah, that is Mikey. (laughs) Mikey's great. But the uh, seeing the industry just again so grossly be reviled by by the how the race was run. Again, this was we were we talked about it on this show in November, about what happened in the championship race at Phoenix. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was the most disappointed that a lot of people in the industry have been in a while with the quality of racing in the Truck Series. That race was a mess. You know, Hosevar had his contact with Corey Heim, and just the madness that ensued all throughout and late in that race. And that just carried over to the Truck Series this weekend, where there was so many wrecks, immaturity, Ill-timed race I mean Not all Not the entire race Was a mess I'll, I'll say that It was cleaner Than the ARCA race It had good portions Of racing But it was Interspliced with Just the dumbest wrecks. And Overall I mean The competition Director of the Truck series He sat down With the teams And the drivers And he said Okay guys We have to clean up What we're doing here We have to set A new tone For a new season Here at Daytona Let's have A cleaner race Let's just drive smarter. And then that did not happen. So NASCAR is now considering what changes does it need to make to the truck series. Uh, If it's going to clean up this racing, you know, it's, it's young stars are winning races. Nick Sanchez wins his first truck series race ever, finally. But I'm sure that was not the fashion that he wanted to win it in. I've seen debate
1: on Twitter X, amongst other things, that... Do we need to send ARCA and trucks to super speedways? Which, if we don't, would be unfortunate, because I I like tradition. Oh, yeah. It's prestigious. It's great racing when it's clean. Mm -hmm. But if we keep doing this financially, is it needed? Like, can, can Can they deal with it? Because there's only, right now, the Atlanta entry list came out for the truck series, and there's only 32 trucks on it.
0: Yeah, because so many have got torn up at Daytona. Yeah, yeah. so in the trucks and ARCA, especially out of any of the top four series in NASCAR, are the least stable financially in handling wrecked equipment. It, these guys cannot shell out endless amounts of money unless you're Bill Venturini. <laughs> In ARCA, that's the one team that can. And even then, he'd probably tell you, I can't, I don't have disposable cars. And then in the truck series, there really isn't anybody anymore that has disposable trucks. Every truck getting torn up is a hefty bill. To a much lesser
2: extent, the debate of should you know trucks for example even uh stay going to super speedways in a much lesser extent it kind of reminds me of what happened with indycar where it would run in places like texas like pocono like uh you know vegas even though the circumstances were much uh larger with that one and but it's just an accident waiting to happen yeah the, the the carnage was just too much with all the cars where it just wasn't financially feasible or, or worth it i should say to really do that and to a lesser extent, it might be the same situation with NASCAR and, and trucks with how it keeps going. I mean,
0: IndyCar, it was just too dangerous to continue. Well, to yeah, that yeah out. that was that was the other part oh, yeah. of that. Oh, yeah. could but make like, the same argument here. Yeah, I mean, a truck flipped over. An 18-year-old flipped over. Mm-hmm. In any other context, that would be horrifying. He flipped his truck over. Is he okay? Yeah, he's okay, thankfully. That's a result of the Raja Karuth wreck at the end of the race. He wrecked the field, and Taylor Gray went pirouetting through the air and landed on top of other trucks and landed on top of other trucks. daniel dies on board for that wreck is insane Mm -hmm. because he just hits he hits gray point blank Mm -hmm. in the right side of the truck and then gray goes flying up over his truck Mm -hmm. he goes right up underneath him after hitting him point blank at like 175 miles an hour and that's terrifying, you know. I mean, these guys are professional drivers. That's dangerous. One of these times, somebody's going to get hurt. They did get hurt at Talladega last year. Greg Van Alst, who mm-hmm. was in the ARCA race and you no, know, didn't win again, but thank God he's healed from his injuries that he had in the truck race last year. He hurt his back and his his chest, and that was in a truck with modern safety equipment with safer barriers. It, the driving standards just need to improve. For the super speedways. So we'll go on to the next topic. So we'll go in the order of things that happened because there was no racing on Saturday and there was no racing on Sunday because the only place in the entire country that had rain was Florida, Southern Florida. And a wall of rain went over the entirety of the state, washed out all the racing for the weekend, and both the Daytona 500 and the Xfinity Series race to open the season, 300 miles there, got pushed to Monday. So, it was another Monday night race, Monday night Daytona 500 for the NASCAR Cup Series. And we will start with it because the Xfinity Series was after the 500. And it, it was a eventful Daytona 500. Lots happened. Great racing. But let's chat about it. Dale, we'll start with you.
1: Yeah, it was uh, surprisingly, considering all the events leading up,
0: a fantastic, clean event. For the most part. Okay, for the most part, you would you would imagine that these guys being cooped up in their trailers for two extra days or an extra day at that, they would come out and it would just be a bloodbath. That again. would give them the reason to not have it be a bloodbath. Mm-hmm. They want to go home. They're tired. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. but
1: um, just wow. Fantastic race. We had a wreck early, though, with uh, Harrison Burton and, unfortunately, Carson Hosevar. I was looking forward to watching him all day. Started ninth and looked to have a fast Chevrolet, but, unfortunately, he got taken out on that, which and Kaz Gralla, which he didn't lose anything there. But, anyway. Then <laughs> Jimmy Johnson. Well, oh.
0: Jimmy was able to continue, but... Was he was like knocked him out. he
1: was irrelevant yeah. for the rest of the day which yeah. is also unfortunate but um yeah i thought the pack racing was was great it wasn't too aggressive i thought it was very tame um only got aggressive when it needed to be just fantastic product especially if we're in front of potentially some new fans from the netflix series just great all around and um uh, as far as the big one late i think with nine to go you know I think it's just a product of late super speedway racing. Now, if we're going to point fingers, I would have to point it at the 48 because the 24 was out of shape when the 48 hit him. But again, Daytona 500 late in the race, what are you going to do? So it's unfortunate that it took out the Fords because my pick, Keselowski, was looking really good there toward the end and you know you could argue he's the reason that Harrison Burton wrecked, but that's besides the point Mm -hmm. (laughs) um He was really strong, along with the pole sitter. Logano was really strong at the end, but um, (laughs) I saw a lot of people joking on X that it was the Chevys taking out the Fords, because it was primarily a Ford crash.
2: (laughs) It was kind of the opposite of what we expected, where we expected Chevy to take the pole, but then struggle in the race. But then the opposite happened, Mm -hmm. where uh, Chevy ended up taking the race, but not the pole.
1: Mm -hmm. Logano led the most laps. He led 45 laps, so strong outing by Fords in the middle of the race but when it counted Chevrolets put themselves up front.
0: Yeah Todd Gilland was up there too for a Mm -hmm. while. I mean he was picking up slack because the 34 car had that issue and he was not able to really be on pace the rest of the day but Mm -hmm. yeah as you mentioned Sean it was a Ford pole for the first time it was a non-Chevy pole the first time since 2012 Mm -hmm. so it, it had been over a decade since we'd had a car that was not a Chevy winning the pole for the Daytona 500 and it was Joey Logano Michael McDowell was second fastest. Uh, The Toyotas were nowhere in qualifying. It shouldn't have been a shock just with how that car is designed, but then again, the Toyotas were certainly there in the draft, which is how the car was designed. And in the race, obviously the Fords were fast, the Chevys were too. Everybody was relatively equal in the race, Uh, but the Fords were so dominant. The Chevys were up there too, and then just outside of that early crash with Hosevar and Harrison Burton going careening through the grass off of turn four and into the trioval, washing up taking out Kaz Grala and Jimmy Johnson back in the pack uh, it was a Clean race. It was good racing. You had Mm -hmm. strategy. You had side by side racing. Really, the entirety of the distance. You didn't really have this thing singling out outside of like this pit strategy, because cars would kind of get into their own like little six seven car packs because it would all come in pit and then they would snake together and then eventually catch up with each other and then they would just whoosh past each other and it would be like holy crow, how did they not wreck? And past that point, it was shaping up to be a great finish. I mean. With like 30 to go, and the final stage, uh, it it was. You could feel it. it, You could feel it. It was very similar. If I had to compare this 500 to any other 500, Mm. it would be 2015. That would be my comparison for this year's 500 because relatively clean race, one, two early wrecks. uh, 2015 didn't have stages, but then again, you had the field three wide, like five rows deep. With like 45 to go. Mm -hmm. And then it was that way all the way up until less than 10 to go. And then, although 2015 had, uh, it was one late wreck to set up a green-white checkered and then very similarly, it was kind of a buzzkill of a finish. But we'll get to that after the wreck that happened where the 48 of Alex Bowman made contact with his teammate, uh, William Byron, entering turn three, and... Both cars continued, but ended up taking out everybody else, essentially, into turn, uh, turn three and took out some of the most dominant cars of the day. How Ross Chastain was not clipped in that wreck is beyond me, because the six car, the way that the six car got turned up towards the outside wall from the double yellow line on the inside, there you couldn't have fit a piece of paper between the back bumper of the one and the front bumper of the six, and Chastain... So close, survived that wreck, but big wreck takes out so many good cars on the backstretch. That was unfortunate to see. And then great racing again. It was not like it was just restart after restart after restart down the stretch. It was one restart, like five to go, great racing again, and then just unfortunate contact coming to the white flag. And... You know, you're going for the Daytona 500. Austin Sindrick is not going to budge, especially when he's on the inside. And uh, Ross Chastain, in typical Ross Chastain fashion, is trying to pull off the move of the century. And he's trying to cross over. And it almost worked. He had the run, just trying to cut underneath William Byron, who worked his way to perfection, to the lead, and just cut across the nose of the two. Both went spinning into the infield. Big wreck ensues. And it was the... 24 ahead of the 48 at the last scoring loop before the lights came on, and William Byron ends up winning the Daytona 500. Uh, It was, it it stunk uh, because it was, you know, good for William Byron, but obviously the fans, after it was a Monday night at that point, you want an exciting finish. You want them to come to the checkered flag. You don't want to end it under caution. And it was so avoidable, too, because NASCAR could have thrown the yellow or could have put on the lights as it has in the past, especially at Talladega. It could have thrown a caution as that wreck was happening and it could have had a restart, but I think NASCAR just wanted to end it. I think it just said, okay, we've been here long enough. Let's just finish this race out. The finish, uh, regardless of the
2: the fact that it was on Monday night kind of reminds me in a way of how polkino ended last year where it was a situation where NASCAR could have thrown the flag earlier and fans wanted it but just didn't end up happening and just with the way it finished in that sense kind of reminded me of that and with it also being a driver that not in the same sense as Hamlin but most fans Would prefer someone else win over Byron? Just at least personality-wise, not exactly the fan favorite. But either way, in those senses, it kind of reminded me of Pocono last year in a way, too.
1: As far as storylines go, I think Byron winning is great because of a few things. One, we all know about it. Hendrick, 40 years. They said it way too many times in the broadcast, but it's yep. important. Mm-hmm. It's important. And it was to the day, and he put the 24 back in victory lane. This is what happens when you put flames on the side of the 24 car. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And you make it not look terrible. Yes. <laughs> yes. Which not not the. Credit to Exalta for fixing that.
1: Yes, was, but not the best Exalta scheme. But no. A- anyway. <laughs> um, and the second reason is Byron. Was a star in this Netflix series. He was touched on very well by the producers and crew. So people who watch the Netflix series and then watch the Daytona 500 familiar with him. No, yes, know who William Byron is. That is true, and I think that is good for the sport in that way. I've seen numerous people on social media say they're William Byron fans because of the Netflix
0: series, and he just won the Daytona 500. And and Ryan Blaney also prominently featured Mm -hmm. in the new Netflix series uh, for NASCAR that covered last year. And Blaney was up there leading Mm -hmm. a lot of this 500. He was running up front. It was kind of a best-case scenario for the heads at NASCAR that were like, we got to push our young stars. But you have William Byron winning the race, and although his personality is... It's as if like Ravion designed a cup driver, you know. <laughs> not exactly the most, you know, fun guy. And he's just like cracking jokes all the time, or he's just going to be the Punisher. Uh, I, I hope to see some character development from William Byron as a driver because I still see just his on-track persona and off-track persona. It's just like yeah, okay, it's just kind of stale. It's like there's nothing really yeah. super interesting about him outside of hey. He knows how to build Legos really well <laughs> And win Daytona 500s And cup races He and started, he started, he started yeah. online Yeah, yep. it's like, and, he, and he learned how to drive through iRacing And yep. it says if we haven't heard that The last I don't know how many years But uh, congrats to William Byron And Hendrick uh, I don't think the fastest car won the race But it, then again yeah. Rarely does it ever yeah. Byron has had a terrible track record at the 500 He has never finished a 500 At least on the lead lap He's had a DNF Every single 500 he's run, except for, I think, two years ago, he Mm -hmm. finished the race nine laps down. Yeah. (laughs) And then this year, he wins the 500. That's nuts. All right, we'll move on to the final race of the weekend, the Xfinity Series race, which ran into the evening. It was immediately after the beginning, or after the end of the Daytona 500. Uh, The post-race festivities, you know, severed a little bit to get this race going so that these teams can get on the road and start prepping for atlanta with probably a lot of the same cars so the xfinity race was eh, up and down but it was also a bit of a bloodbath in its own right sean we'll start with you on this one in, in its own right it was but in
2: a way it, it kind of reminded me of how the cup race turned out where overall it it wasn't Bad racing for the most part And then the ending left a little bit To be desired but Overall at least compared To you know the trucks It was a little bit better quality Of a race overall
1: Yeah I agree Um, It was you know kind of messy In spots but Skipping to the end I knew I knew when they Penalized Riley Harps that Austin Hill was going to win This race Because that 98 car was He was really fast Um, Had he not got penalized I think he would have won the race I agree, yeah And it was just I was like, no As soon as you penalize this guy We're going to have Michael Balt I mean, Austin Hill Win (laughs) Xfinity at Daytona again So, pretty wild
0: yeah, it was a it was a wild race. Uh, the winner, not surprising in the slightest. This is the third straight season opener that Austin Hill has won with RCR. Uh, it was even funnier because Andy Petrie was up in the booth for Fox Sports and um, not hiding his bias and, at all. And
2: Not hiding it at all. And I mean, one of the j- first wrecks RCR was involved <laughs> in. I think the first thing he said was, uh, "I think the uh, you know whatever number it was was
0: involved." I don't think there the was two. any. Yeah, the, yeah, 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 the was, two. I don't think there was any damage though. Who? Credit to Jesse yes. Love. He did great in his debut, so credit to mm-hmm. him. He did. Uh, but obviously, it was uh, it was an okay race. Xfinity does this thing in plate races where it'll always fan out and just kind of run a train up near the uh, the wall, just biding its time until kind of near the end of the race or at least the end of the stage breaks, which is not always the most exciting thing for the fans, but I think everybody was just trying to get out of Daytona at that point. And then no flips. Some interesting wrecks. Uh, Shane Van Gisbergen did better, although although he was torn up. He did better um, than I expected. Finished thirteenth last
2: week. I I expected him to struggle a lot more, and I guess to an extent, I was right with Arca race, but mm. uh, not by his, by his own Not way, not though. not that it was his fault, but nonetheless, uh, th- yeah, he finished better than I expected in twelfth in his second ever race at a super speedway.
0: Yeah, it was it was. Uh, Again, yeah, no no surprise on the winner of the race. Van Gisbergen did uh, solid, or great, really, for his first true super speedway race in a stock car. And then uh, poor Frankie Muniz. <laughs> he did not I, finish I knew, knew you were I knew you were going to mention he, that. Yeah, I Well, I can't not mention him. He's just, you know, it's cool. It was a cool story, and at least he'll be racing some more races this year in Xfinity. Mm-hmm. But uh, obviously, Daytona didn't go exactly the way he wanted. He made the race, which is You know, big for him, but I believe it was a broken toe, I think. That's what it looked like. Yeah. I just saw a picture of the damaged car. Either way, uh, and also a disappointing debut, at least for Haley Deegan, full-time this year, where she just... uh, Sam Mayer got wrecked early on, just turned into the outside wall, heading into turn one, and then Haley Deegan had a... The ARCA race happened on Friday night, but... It appears that there were arc brakes installed in the 15 machine, as she had about 15 seconds, very fittingly, to slow down before she ran right into the back of uh, her opponent heading into turn one.
1: Willie Mullins was her driver coach for
0: this weekend, <laughs> <in Daytona. laughs> uh, but it was it was disappointing. But good race for Austin Hill. RCR dominates once again. Should be no shocker. So we'll move on to the next topic. No! So this past weekend, Fox Sports' Chris Myers sat down with Steve Phelps, who is the head of NASCAR, and kind of a state-of-the-sport discussion with Mr. Phelps before the, what would have been the Daytona 500 on Sunday, and Phelps had one of the most fascinating interviews and enlightening interviews I think we've seen of any NASCAR executive in quite some time, because he revealed a lot in this interview. So we're going to go through it point by point that Phelps made, we're going to talk about it, because there's a lot to talk about here. The first thing Steve Phelps mentioned that we can really discuss was the prospect of international race. Chris Myers asked him, what is NASCAR's view on international races? Are we going to be racing south or north of the border in 2025? And Phelps said both. Both. Expect it. So Mm -hmm. just your guys' thoughts on that. Where do you think we would be racing? Do you think it actually happens, or is he blowing smoke? I'm surprised to hear both. I, I was expecting more out of anything
2: to hear Mexico for sure, because that's really what's been rumored for at least the past year, if not longer, but we were talking about it after the
0: clash. Yeah, you know NASCAR potentially racing in what Guadalajara or the uh, Formula One track in Mexico City. Yeah, I my initial thoughts would be Mexico
2: City because that's that's where NASCAR has raced before, and uh, it's still a likely spot. Now, it would be interesting to see what gets moved around on the, on the schedule to fit canada into uh into the schedule as well and if the clash ends up actually getting replaced with mexico because there's really only so many moves nascar can make with the schedule especially with how much it's changed in the past two years yeah it's
1: going to be interesting for sure i'm with sean um it's wild to think that We could go both north and south, Um, but in this day and age, you know, you kind of have to if you want to expand your fan base in an ultra-competitive world to grab people's
0: attention, so I think that's pretty crazy. Uh, Now we'll move on to the next thing Steve Phelps mentioned, which was NASCAR in Southern California. It's been no secret that Auto Club Speedway has been – it's going through – Air quotes, renovations right now as NASCAR is deciding whether it wants to build a short track there, the same parcel of land, or not. Uh, NASCAR sold off the majority of the land where Auto Club Speedway sat and has demolished the majority of the speedway outside of just the front stretch and the garage. It's, at this point, all gone. Crazy to think that NASCAR was racing there just a year ago, and now the entire track, save for one eighth of it, is gone. Uh, Obviously, Chris Myers asked Steve Phelps, is NASCAR going to continue racing in Southern California, especially with the clash, the lease of the L.A. clash at uh, the Coliseum is now up. Will NASCAR continue racing in Southern California uh, the next couple of years while Auto Club presumably gets a bit of a facelift and changes? And he said, yes. Where is that going to happen? If it's not at the Coliseum and it's not at Auto Club for at least the next two years, where on earth is NASCAR going to race in Southern California? I, I'm intrigued. Where do you guys think? Irwindale. That is a good choice. That it's exists. got safer barriers. It's got safer barriers. It's I don't know how big it is. It's in the L.A. market. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a great track. I would love to see the cup cars at Irwindale That would be so cool Irwindale inner Do it on the inner Do it on the little track Yeah <laughs> yes. Drift battle on it <laughs> I, I think Irwindale would be awesome Yeah I, I, didn't, I didn't even really think about Irwindale And My money is on either Irwindale or Kern County Ooh, forgot mm. about Kern County. Kern yeah. County is a top-tier facility that has just never had the amount of— it, the fans have never shown up in numbers to Kern County, and it's kind of gone through a couple owners, but it has. Does Kevin Harvick owner right now? Harvick might own it. I don't think he owned it right off the bat, but he helped develop the Speedway because it's essentially the replacement for Mesa Marin after that— track was demolished as it shouldn't have been in the late 2000s but kern county is a great track it's a short track it's a little oddly shaped but i would love to see the cup cars rolling around kern county uh if it does not happen at irwindale irwindale is another one of those tracks that's always under constant threat of being bulldozed for a strip mall you know in uh southern california but i i would agree with you dale i Mm -hmm. say irwindale is where nascar races Potentially for the Clash next year, which would be really cool. Uh, I There would not be a lot of fans in attendance because it's not exactly a very... Uh it's not a lot of grandstands at Irwindale but I digress I think if you run at Irwindale it would be cool I think if NASCAR ran at Kern County it'd also be really cool it would be better. It, it would be an interesting
2: idea but I think the issue with that is that Bakersfield is way more out of the way yeah. than Irwindale is it's, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere honestly and in terms of like the map of California mm-hmm. so logistically I, I don't think Kern County would work I think Irwindale would be the better option overall but but, but and yeah. it's much more of a
0: population center, too.
1: Yeah. So. so Kern County is not owned by Kevin Harvick. The people who
0: do own it now just decided to honor him by slapping his name in front of the words Kern County. Uh. I'm, I'm sure Kevin Harvick would not mind at NASCAR going to Kern County. Mm-hmm. Uh, I... I bet you he'd be over the moon of NASCAR going there uh, even if it's not even the cup series it's the truck series anybody but uh we'll be interesting to see where NASCAR if it lives up to that promise of continuing to race in southern california next year because Steve Phelps mentioned it's shockingly it's NASCAR's second biggest market of fans which again with a, a market as big as that it should be no surprise but you always think south when you think of NASCAR and all of a sudden you get not exactly the south that we're thinking of, of Southern California. But we'll move on to the next thing that Mr. Phelps mentioned, was that, and I know this has gone on for years, new manufacturer, the fourth manufacturer, who will it be? And for years, NASCAR has said we're always in chats with new OEMs. And we're trying to get new manufacturers into the sport. And it's no new manufacturers have joined since Toyota joined in 2004. It has quite literally been 20 years since a new manufacturer has joined NASCAR. We lost Dodge after 2012. It was planning to run 2013, but just no teams wanted to run with Dodge had been up and down with manufacturer support, so uh, nobody wanted to touch Dodge with a 10-foot pole. But NASCAR and Steve Phelps confirmed in this interview that it's in talks with a new fourth manufacturer, and they're going well. Could there be a fourth manufacturer here within the next two years? And might not start out in the Cup Series, but... Are we going to see a new manufacturer here soon? Steve Phelps seems to think so. I'd say eventually, yes.
2: Uh, it, I mean, it depends on how successful these talks actually are and how fast that's going. But I would say so. I, I mean, I can't imagine it would be with the history that Dodge has had that it would return that quickly. And granted, ten years. I mean, it's it's a long time away. It's a it's yeah. He's an
0: NHRA with Tony Stewart.
2: But we'll see.
1: Dodge is actually in the top 5 on NASCAR ad spend
0: for the last year. That's fascinating. Yeah. I saw the mm. list. I don't
1: remember their exact position, but they were up there and it was really surprising. Things that make you go,
2: "Hmm."
0: Mm-hmm. The uh, I personally think it's Honda. I think it's Honda because Honda th- has been threatening to pull out of IndyCar. Last year, I also, that is ramped
2: up. I also thought it was kind of interesting during the interview. Chris, Chris Myers, Myers actually action. said Honda, and then Steve Phelps kind of goes, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I can't confirm. Yeah, or deny. I can't confirm <laughs> or deny."
0: <laughs> So, my money is on it being Honda. I think it would be really cool if it was Dodge to come back again, but I'm sure the teams would be like, oh goodness, it's happening again. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think Honda is one of those manufacturers that is very consistent. If it entered NASCAR, it would be great for the sport. I think Hell, the new Mustang already looks like a Honda Accord. I, I think it would fit perfectly <laughs> amongst every car that's out there on the circuit right now. Honda, I'm sure, is attracted by NASCAR's growing interest in EV vehicles and EV racing. I'm sure that is something that Honda is at least a little more interested in. I mean, especially is on the Formula One side. I mean, it's threatening to pull out over the emissions in Formula One. So, yeah. Uh, I think Honda is the next manufacturer in NASCAR because it sees a future in NASCAR. It also has a rocky relationship right now with IndyCar because it feels like it's being uh, it's second to Chevy, and obviously is. IndyCar is in a weird spot right now with its alliance to manufacturers because IndyCar is trying to go out and get more, just like NASCAR. Hell, it was trying to court Ferrari like two years ago, which is weird, but I mean, it had Lotus a little over a decade ago, so anything is possible. I digress. Uh, I think Honda is legitimately considering a move from IndyCar to NASCAR because Honda said, in an executive mentioned last year in an interview with, it might have been Adam Stern, somebody from Sports Business Journal, said Honda can run two motorsports, and it's not leaving Formula One. Mm. Mm. So, it's if it's spending in IndyCar, it's not going to go to NASCAR. If it jumps to NASCAR, it's done in IndyCar. IndyCar is in big trouble. If it's just down to one manufacturer with Chevy, I mean, it kind of got left high and dry by Toyota. And with this, Toyota did the same thing in the early 2000s. It was one of the two manufacturers in IndyCar at that point. And with the issues it's already had in not just
2: manufacturers, but also with the issues in trying to get like the charter system going between
0: teams and a little bit of a rift there as well. It's, It's a transitional period for IndyCar, alongside the TV contract still being up in the air really after the next year or two. Fox Sports is interested in picking up the deal in its entirety from NBC Sports, which I mean goes to show hey fox cares about investing in motorsports still but with indycar it lost toyota in the same way that i personally believe it's going to lose honda i think honda's going to go to nascar i really do i'm a hundred percent convinced Honda is going to jump ship and go to nascar because it's seeing the growing it's seeing the growth in stock car racing over IndyCar. IndyCar's ratings have kind of flatlined over the past couple years. Yes, it's a very slow growth and sure the racing is more pure, but the growth isn't there. Honda sees the much bigger fish and the much b- there's more eyes unequivocally on NASCAR across all of its divisions outside of maybe ARCA. I mean IndyCar ratings are on par with the truck series. I mean, in comparison, I mean, wouldn't you, wouldn't you as Honda want to put your car in cup races? And NASCAR has more than entertained, and we'll get into this with the final topic today with the charter system, that it is more than willing to entertain a new manufacturer stepping in, and if the charter system is still around, there is a clause in the charter system that says if a new manufacturer, a new OEM joins, it is awarded four brand new charters. This poof, out of the air. And all of a sudden, that would just whether that comes from maybe the the lowest ranking charter and then three more, the field goes back to, you know, or or it would be it would go up to forty charters at that point. But I think Honda's the new manufacturer. I, I really do, and we'll see what progresses. I hope that NASCAR can get a fourth manufacturer again because it needs to. I think that'd be it's it's more than cool. It's needed. And we'll move on to the final topic today. Steve Phelps mentioned in his interview with Chris Myers, the ongoing charter saga within nascar and the rta which is the race team alliance essentially a union of all the cup series teams and if you're not familiar with the charter situation in nascar charters guarantee a car into every race there is you do not have to worry about not qualifying for a race you're locked into everything it helps with sponsorship you're allotted more money from the purse uh if you are an open team uh, "Quote unquote, you are not. You do not earn any of the purse money. You're just there to race for fun. You're not making any money. If you have a charter, you're making money. And there's no charters in the Truck Series. No charters in ARCA. There's no charters in the Xfinity Series. It's only in the Cup Series. It's the it's the big series. So it has charters to lock everybody in. There's 36 of them out there. And for the last year or so." the Race Team Alliance, headed up by Rob Kaufman, who came up with this idea for charters in the first place, is trying to work with his union of teams, all the cup teams in the garage. They want to keep charters because it inflates the value of the team's. By hundreds of millions of dollars, depending on how many of you you have, I mean, Live Fast sold its charter to 2311 in the offseason, or Spire, Spire, excuse me, in the offseason, for upwards of $50 million. If it's a four-car team, that's $200 million added to the value of your team and your net worth. Of which these guys like having that. So, uh, and it's you're able to sell that to sponsors more. If your net worth is higher, there's more money being circulated, even though if it's hypothetical, it's kind of like stocks. Uh, but these teams want to keep the charters. The charter deal expires at the end of this year, heading into 2025. NASCAR is not budging. Steve Phelps said in the interview that there's progress being made, but a contradicting Associated Press report said that there's no progress being made. That's from the teams. It's essentially a war of propaganda at this point. And the other
2: interesting part from that interview, and uh, uh, as you said with the war war with propaganda thing, obviously in that that sort of interview where you're on TV like that, you're you're not going to be completely... uh, crystal about what is actually going on behind the scenes, but one of the things he said was healthier teams run more quality races, which would lean towards getting a new deal for the charter system done, but as you said with the AP report, they're not even getting a a short-term
0: deal done. They're just outright not even talking at this point. Yeah it's NASCAR called it off on the eve of the 500. The teams were going to meet with NASCAR and NASCAR as a whole, and NASCAR said no, we're going to meet with the teams one by one. My question to you guys, do you think charters stick around? Do you think this a deal gets done to keep charters or do you think charters go away and NASCAR ends up winning this battle?
1: I don't know. I don't have an answer because it's it's already ugly and it's only going to get more ugly if both sides decide to continue not cooperating with each other, so it'll certainly be interesting to watch, but Yeah, it's it's not pretty.
2: Usually, I don't like uh, answering in the form of uh, trying to count it. Well, well, yeah, and comparing it with another sport. But with the way I've seen baseball handle its uh, challenges in this sort of similar sense, the way I predict it going is this will drag out for as long as possible until the very last second, and then a deal will get done that will. Probably benefit NASCAR more than anything else More than what the drivers want Where the drivers say they want more saying in revenue ideas That's not happening But they'll with the charters Something will get done Albeit at the last second Like the last possible second that it could happen
0: For NASCAR's 50th anniversary back in 1998 there was a meeting of many of the legends that were still alive of the sport. And a quote from that whole... go You can find it on YouTube and watch it. A quote that has always stuck with me from that interview amongst the drivers and media members themselves. Daryl Waltrip very infamously said, it, you know, it's NASCAR's ball and we're playing with it, you know. <laughs> NASCAR... Controls this It's a private entity This is NASCAR's ballpark And NASCAR Headed up by Jim France And I mention Jim France Specifically Because Jim France Also runs IMSA Which is a sports car Racing entity It runs the Rolex 24 And a lot of the American uh, Endurance racing events uh, Alongside the year Uh, But IMSA Headed up by Jim France It's very much his baby is very laissez-faire when it comes to entries. It's come, bring, as long as you're meeting the expectations of what the series requires, doesn't matter what manufacturer, doesn't matter what driver, what series, what, what kind of thing, laissez-faire, bring what you got and try and make the race and run it. They're not putting any restrictions on how many cars can enter a race. They want as many as they possibly can. NASCAR, for so many years, was exactly the same way. Uh, Mike Helton, back when he was the president of NASCAR in 2004, stated that, hey, we are in the business of if you can make the race and you can run with the best, then do it. We're not going to stop you. That changed with Charters when Rob Kaufman brought the idea up. NASCAR, the entries were kind of going on the downslope. It was expensive. Costs had risen to an unreasonable height and teams needed a reason to stick around outside of just the top 35 rule. It still existed in the trucks in the Xfinity series, but teams are just buying and swapping points. It was essentially a precursor to charters. The charters add so much more value to the team because you have this little piece of paper that says that you have a charter uh, and there's a big difference between you know, hey, we'll buy top 35 points for, I don't know, a couple hundred, hundred K and then $50 million for a charter. It shows the health of the sport. No wonder the teams don't want to get rid of it. I think NASCAR wins because the teams have no leverage. Mm -hmm. The teams have no leverage here because if it has a lockout, which has been, you know, people are worried. Oh, is this going to go the way of the the CART split? Oh no, is NASCAR going to split? IRL and CART, they're going to die. You know, they're going to kill each other, and stock car racing is going to end. Oh, you know, Denny Hamlin's is going to take twenty three eleven. He's going to go run it with SRX. That's going well right now. <laughs> the uh, or they're going to go run short tracks and split off and make their own series with all their own rules and own cars, and everything's going to be great. That can't happen because you know who owns all the tracks NASCAR (laughs) NASCAR owns all the big tracks in America it it would have to be a short track series and 2311 is not going to survive on at most 2k checks from Slinger Speedway and Five Flags as cool as it would be that team would fold in a month The lights would not stay on. So the teams have no leverage, and I say this because it would contradict itself if it had a lockout. If these teams said, you know what? We're protesting the fact that NASCAR is not going to allow us to continue having these charters, and we're going to lose all this value and all this money, and the $50 million that Spire just spent on that charter is all going to go to waste because charters are going to go away at the end of the year. And it's it's going to go back presumably to a laissez-faire period where NASCAR... In exchange for this, it's not just being cold and harsh. It's saying we're vastly increasing the amount of TV revenue that we're sharing with you guys. Right now it is minuscule, and NASCAR is going to try and get it as close to 50%, even as it possibly can. And even then the teams are saying no. It's an issue of greed, not fairness. It's the teams showing their true colors that... Usually, I'm with the teams on a lot of these issues, especially with the cars, uh, the horsepower issue that is ongoing in NASCAR. But when it comes to charters, NASCAR is completely in the right because look at Formula One. It is very much a country club. Andretti, with the support of General Motors, couldn't even get into Formula One. They said, and I quote, there would be no value in adding the Andretti name or General Motors to the ranks of Formula One. General Motors is one of, if not the biggest auto manufacturer in the world, and yet Formula One, the teams decided, no, we don't want one of the most successful known motorsports names known out there with one of the biggest auto brands to enter the sport with a lot of money and a lot of focus, because you know why? It would take more of the pie away from each of the team's slice. No team wants to share the same amount of revenue and dwindle their own amount by letting a new team in. They want to keep everybody out, and everybody that's already in is grandfathered in. Nobody knew. That's exactly what NASCAR is heading towards in the Cup Series if a charter system stays in place. And it cannot afford to do that because eventually these teams will start to— there will be no growth. This is how you kill growth. The sport is growing. This is how you kill that. It will flatline if you keep with charters. And the teams cannot lock out because it would contradict its own rules. The teams came up, the RTA, came up with its own rules with NASCAR in agreement. And as the agreement states, you have to enter every single race. We mentioned it last episode, 20 or uh BK Racing, when that was still a thing, it almost didn't show up for a Daytona 500. It showed up, like, the day before qualifying with a blank car it threw together. And it was able to just get in the race and just get going so that it didn't lose its charter. Because under the agreement, if you don't race, you lose your charter. It gets yanked. No matter no ifs, no buts. It gets pulled away. You lose it in an instant. So everybody's forced to enter. If there's a lockout, the teams lose the charters under their own agreement. So they can't stop... And take a weekend off this year and say, we're just not going to race. Because then they would contradict themselves legally by its own rules that it came up with itself. NASCAR would have it in the palm of its hand. It already does. The teams right now have no leverage. Because if it tries to sit out and it tries to say, nope, we're protesting this, then it breaks its own rules. Defeats the purpose. Yeah, it defeats the entire purpose. It breaks its own rules. And NASCAR has it legally. And the teams just basically have to sit here and deal with NASCAR and take it and just... I say it's a war of propaganda because the teams are going to continue saying this stuff to the AP and saying this stuff to the fans and saying that we need to keep charters around. Big NASCAR is being mean and it has a monopoly and we can't let it have this monopoly because it's trying to win the war of information. It's going to get uglier this year. I hope it doesn't, but... NASCAR is completely in the right with the Charter situation. I hope it wins. Uh, As bad as I feel for the teams losing all this money that they poured into the Charters and the guaranteed entries, the sport is healthier. As Steve Phelps said, it is healthier when it has open competition and it has growth. Uh, that'll do it for tonight's episode of Speed Zone. Dale Garrett, Sean Kelly, as always, thank you guys for being on the show. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And again, thank you for tuning in tonight, as next week we'll be back at our normal time, 7 to 8 p.m., with a full hour-long show, maybe even a bit longer, recapping everything that you love in racing. For Sean Kelly, Dale Garrett, I'm Ben Cower. saying thank you for tuning in tonight, and stay tuned. Marshall Men's Basketball versus James Madison up next, here on the Cutting Edge Sports Radio Network. You've been listening to another sports presentation on the Cutting Edge Sports Radio Network.